Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Lance Wigton. I'm the Communications Director here at Real Life Ministries, and I'm with Jim Putman, the lead pastor at Real Life Ministries. Uh, Jim, uh, a lot of people ask us questions about what the Bible says about a different topic and and things like that. And, and uh, in fact, um, we, we were getting so many questions that we actually uh, decided to do a series uh, involving these top questions. But if I'm going to go search for myself, uh, if I had a question about divorce or, or whatever, whatever the question was going to be, uh, I can go on online and I can get multiple different versions of uh, the, the same answer. And they all will, uh, or most of them will quote the Bible and most of them will have a case for it. And uh, it's hard to know what true north is on interpreting the Bible and I, I would rather do it myself. So what is the answer to that? How, how, uh, what is a way that I can interpret the Bible in my own home and come up with answers on my own that are accurate? Yeah, this is actually part of my own journey, to this discussion. Uh, you know, my journey was there is no God. Okay, there is a God, but which one? Mm-hmm. Then it was studying religion, and then it was, okay, Christianity. That's the only provable historical religion. Mm -hmm. And in Christianity, the Bible is considered God's word. Um, The Old Testament, that's what they believed. Jesus affirmed that. He quoted scripture, said it it, it had come from the Father, and, and, uh, and then went on to say that the disciples were going to go out with a message that he had taught them. He was sending them the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And, uh, that they so that they could be reminded of everything that he had said, and he would teach them all things by the power of the Holy Spirit. Not all things on everything, but all things pertaining to what he wanted us to know in the Scriptures. The early church thought uh, that the disciples' writings were Scripture. The disciples said their writings were Scripture. So, as I came to that understanding, that led to this problem, though. Yeah, so the Bible is an infallible, inerrant word of God, but everybody has a different understanding of what it means. Mm-hmm. Thus, all the denominations, all the stuff. So how am I supposed to read the scriptures? Um, which leads to um, the study of hermeneutics, uh, which, it, which which really is a big word. It's a big you know, Bible college word that talks about the principles of, by which you you uh, read scripture. So there are principles that most every uh, Bible college, no matter the, nomina- the, the denomination, um, holds to. So let me just give you, you know, they may word them differently, but mm-hmm. it comes down to um, there's what's called the uh, literal principle, mm-hmm. which means what is it actually saying literally? Um in context. So you have to go through and go, you know, a lot of people pick a, a verse out and they don't read that passage uh, in the context of what was said before, what was said after, what's the thought. And so what is it literally saying, not just in one, you know, verse you took out, but mm-hmm. in the discussion of the topic that's being uh, dealt with in the scripture. So mm-hmm. it's called the literal principle. The second one is called the grammatical principle which asks the question, what does it say in the original language? And what did mm-hmm. that word mean? And so we talk about that a lot. The word love in, a, in English means a whole lot of different things. And in the New Testament, love, uh, there are you know, words 
that are that are different that we translate in English like storge, uh, family love, eros, sexual love. Mm-hmm. Uh, agapao is the word for uh, love that God uses most often in the scriptures, and agapao is an act of the will to lay down your life for the other. It's mm-hmm. not a feeling. It's not lust. It's not those things. So mm-hmm. it's a it's a decision to value the other person above yourself. And that Jesus was the example of that. So the, the, the grammatical principle says, what does the word mean in the language that it was written in at the time it was written? Mm-hmm. So like baptism, baptizo, uh, baptizo may. In the Greek, baptism uh, at the time uh, meant to be buried in, to be put under, to be immersed in water. Mm-hmm. Okay, so as time goes on, that word is expanded. It, it, they add meanings to it, much like using the example of uh, uh, the word gay in American history. Years and years and years ago, it meant happy, but now we've added a meaning mm-hmm. to that word to mean also homosexual. So if you're going to read scripture, you have to go back and go, what did the word mean at the time it was written? Mm-hmm. Uh, and if all scripture is God breathed, in other words, it, at that time in that place, God played a part in writing it in the in the original language. You want to know what that original language was and what it meant at the time. The third principle is called the the synthesis principle, and, and what that means is, um, if you want to know about a, a subject, you allow scripture to interpret scripture. The the clear meaning scriptures um, hold more sway than the kind of off. Um, lesser clear passages of scripture. Mm-hmm. So you, in clear, you interpret the less clear passages through the clear passages, and you don't just look at the text in one place um, and then decide that you understand the whole topic. I'll give, give you an example of, like, um, Jesus says, if you pray anything in my name, it will be done for you. Mm-hmm. So you go, okay, now I just use Jesus' name. But First John says, if you ask anything according to God's will, it will be done for you. So if you just take the one passage on the subject, mm-hmm. apart from what the Bible says as a whole, you come up with a different meaning. Mm-hmm. So you, you, have to, you have to bring it all in. And then there's the historical principle, which has a couple of different uh, meanings to it. Uh, number one, what was happening in the culture at the time? What was happening uh, around that time that we need to know about? For instance... Jesus talks about the Tower of Siloam and, and he talks about how it fell down and he asks the question, do you think all those guys who the tower fell on are bigger sinners than those uh, who, who lived elsewhere and didn't die when the tower fell on them? Mm-hmm. And he says, no, unless you repent, you will perish. What is he talking about? Well, historically, they, the Romans were forcing the Jews to work on a tower uh, on the Sabbath and it fell. Mm-hmm. And so Jesus' point is, you know, just because they um, were killed in that tower because they were working on the Sabbath doesn't mean they were worse than everybody else. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't like God's retribution mm-hmm. in that case. No, unless everybody repents, they've all fallen short. And and so when it comes to the historical principle, understanding uh, what was happening at the at the uh, you know in an event in a time. It gives you a better idea. What was what was a head covering at that time? What did it mean mm-hmm. for women to if they were not to pray or prophesy without their head covered? It meant that if they were married, they were under authority of God, but also the authority of their husband. So, what's the principle we take from that? 
mm-hmm. as we understand it. So you have to understand what was happening historically, but it has a secondary meaning that I think is really important, and it answered the question that I was talking about earlier. Remember I said, okay, everybody interprets this differently. How do I, how do I know which one to understand? How do I know who's right? Because at that time, everybody wasn't playing nice. Right. It wasn't like it was like if you weren't Catholic, you weren't part of the Holy Roman Catholic Church, and you weren't you weren't saved. Mm-hmm. If you weren't Church of Christ, you might be saved if you're not Church of Christ, but we couldn't we can't say for sure. It was if you're Baptist or whatever, and and so not they also had different versions of the gospel, mm-hmm. right? I mean, what is the gospel? And, and and if I so not only did I have to believe Jesus was the Son of God and believe the Bible was the Word of God, but I got to understand. What's the right way to read it? Or I'm still going to hell. That's mm-hmm. how that's how it was for me back then. Even salvation itself would look different depending yeah. on the denomination. Exactly. And so how do I understand it? From the Reformers, 1,500 years after Christ, from the Catholics who had changed it over time, from the Church of Christ to the, do I just pray a prayer? Do I get baptized? It was, what do I do? So the second part of the historical uh, argument is super important to me. It was... What does, did the first church think it meant, and how did they put it into practice? Mm-hmm. Because historically, we know this. Remember, I come from a his, historical sort of understanding of things. So I was a history teacher. Right. It, those closest to the event have the best uh, view into the event, meaning if the story changes, uh, those who are closest to the event have the best view to get it right. Mm-hmm. But not only did they have the best view of getting the historical account right, they had the best chance of coming up with the meaning derived from the historical event. Mm-hmm. So um, let's deal with the women's roles issue. I mean, right mm-hmm. now, every new scholar is putting the verses together in a new way. They're, they're manipulating and maneuvering the hermeneutical principles to come up with a, a new meaning. Now, you, in my view, as soon as you come up with something new, I'm going to be skeptical of it. Mm-hmm. Um, if you come up with a, a new set of eating rules, I have to eat this or that to be saved. I'm going to go, whoa, whoa, whoa. If you come up with a, a new understanding of marriage, mm-hmm. w- hold on. You know, God is the creator of the universe. He gives us his rules. He gives us a, a, a way of living those out. Mm-hmm. Anything new, I'm going to be skeptical of. Any new scholar in the Bible that says that uh, we come up with a new understanding. I believe that the Holy Spirit gave us the word and that the Holy Spirit, Spirit worked through the disciples. And the way, the best way to understand what the disciples meant is to ask this question. What did the first church think it meant mm-hmm. and how did they put it into practice? So here's what I would say. Um, just as the story, if, it, if, if you give a different account over time, and say your account is true, but it's different than those who were there at the time, I'm going to be skeptical. If you come up with a different meaning mm-hmm. of, of a, a truth that was given at the time, so let's say that you're accurate that this actually was said, but you come up with a different way to understand what was said mm-hmm. than the first church, I'm going to go, ooh, hold on. I agree that the, the early church fathers, the disciples of the disciples, were not... Um, inspired the way that the apostles were. I agree that they're not, you know, what they said about stuff is not infallible. Mm -hmm. But historically speaking, they got to live at the time and the place to ask questions. Mm -hmm. 
how should we apply that? What does that mean? Often what they put into practice is based on what they heard directly, the interactions that we don't have in Scripture mm-hmm. that, are, that were clearly there. John actually wrote that if we were to take everything that Jesus said and did, there wouldn't be enough books to contain it. Mm-hmm. So we know other things happen other than what's written. We know that those who lived at the time got to ask questions and have conversations, right? Then what they did with that passage in practice tells us what those interactions plus the Word of God, uh, as they heard it from the disciples, how that was understood and applied tells us what was meant. Mm -hmm. So if you say that women should be teachers and preachers because we understand the Scriptures in a different way today, Mm -hmm. I'm going to go, well, that's not how they first understood it. We can actually track who the preachers and the bishops and the elders were. We know that that there was no preaching and teaching happening in the early church until the Gnostics came along. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, women were a part of things. They had conversations. They played parts in churches. They, they were absolutely essential to, the, to how the church ran. Mm-hmm. But as far as being a bishop or a pastor— uh, doing the main teaching and the in the gathering together of the believers, the only people who did that were the Gnostics, mm-hmm. the Montanians, uh, and they were rejected by the early church. And 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 even they would use names like those Jezebels. I mean, it was it was clearly not there. So when you come up with a new understanding, I'm going to go back to the beginning and go. You're right; they're not inspired, but they have the best chance of getting it right. Mm-hmm. Um, you also go into history and you go in the scriptures themselves when when Paul would say women should not be teachers or preachers, uh, they should not take authority over men. He then in 1 Corinthians and in 1 Timothy goes through and ties it to the creation argument, not to a cultural argument. He wasn't just dealing with uh, with Roman women who or Corinthian women who were out of control. Mm-hmm. He did. He said we have no other practice in any of the churches, and then he ties it to what happened in the Garden of Eden, not to a cultural practice. Mm-hmm. So when you start to understand the principles, you start to go, all right. Um, You've got the literal principle. What is it actually saying? You've got the grammatical principle. What is it saying in the Greek? You've got the synthesis principle. What does it say in other places? You've got the historical principle. What was happening in in the culture, but also what did they think it meant at that time in that place? And then you've got the practical principle, which is, all right, how do we live this out in our slice of history? And uh, and so here's some of the questions that we, we teach here in our church. Uh, that make it this kind of more memorable. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, first, the way when I'm interpreting scripture, I want to go, Lord, help me to to. Uh, I, I'm going to pray first and say, God, as I read your scripture, help me to get rid of uh, any of my biases, any of my angst or sin in my life that's that's keeping me from hearing what your word actually says. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of times people will will go, well, I don't really need any tools. I'm just going to pray. And God will tell me what it means. So I don't need a teacher. I don't need a disciple maker. I don't need to understand any rules. I don't need to uh, uh, handle the word of God correctly. I just need the Holy Spirit to tell me apart from any sort of using my head at all. Uh, you know, which, you know, Second Timothy says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, but who correctly handles the word of truth. Scripture does, does say, yes, there's a message, but he sent out the disciples to teach people to obey all that is commanded and to understand what is commanded mm-hmm. correctly. Mm-hmm. So 
So, um, it, it, I, Lord, help me to understand it. Then I, I ask this question number one, who? Who is speaking and uh, who is the writer writing to? So I'm, I'm, I'm going, all right, what's the context here? Who and, and, and who is he writing to? Uh, why is he writing? What's the situation? That has to do with the historical, what's, the, what's mm-hmm. going on at the time and the place? So I want to read it in context. When was it written? Which then de- deals with the language. What language uh, was it being written in? And when it was written, what did it mean? Uh, where else in the scriptures do I see this subject? That's the synthesis principle. What did the first church understand it to mean, and how did they put it into practice? So the creeds, you know, what did the first church believe about the Trinity? Mm-hmm. What did they say about it? What did they say about Jesus? Who was he? What did he say about God the Father? What did he say about the Holy Spirit? How did they understand it uh, historically? Uh, what did they believe? Who did they believe Jesus was? A created being or God the Son? Mm-hmm. Going back to the early church, what did, what did the early creeds mean? How did they understand it? And then, uh, uh, and so the last question is, all right, now, this is the practical principle. Mm-hmm. Now, what do I do with this today in my life? So as I start to understand that, bring the scriptures together on a subject, study it. And then, then I'm like, okay, I'm always usually confronted by what I just read. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, God, help me to not just be a hearer of the word, but be a doer of it. What do you want me to do with it now mm-hmm. in my life, starting with me? Uh, and so that's kind of how we teach people to read the scriptures. Well, that brings up two questions. Uh, first question is, um, well, my original question was, how do you do this at your house? Mm-hmm. So um, the who, why, when, uh, what, uh, you know, the, the advantage of it being 2023 is the fact that we do have a lot of tools at our access that are uh, usually free. Right. Uh, What would you tell somebody uh, that they could go to and they can investigate and they can get these answers before while they're looking at a a piece of scripture? Yeah. Again, I would. uh, This is where people come into it too. That Mm -hmm. there's a purpose for teachers, and um, when you don't really understand what uh, what you're reading, or you recognize that it's a disputable matter, meaning that different people have different ideas. This is where you bring in a trusted person and you ask some questions. Not just what does your trusted person believe, Mm -hmm. because oftentimes they're just passing on what they were taught. You go through, like there's Bible Hub, Mm -hmm. there's Logos, there's different programs that go back, and and there are a lot of commentaries. Read several commentaries and see if there's any difference in understanding the passage. Right? So if you read a commentary and you go... Okay, this says this. Now you read another one. You mm-hmm. go, this says this. Okay, you you have, you know, probably a difference of opinion here. Now, how important is that difference? And what did the first church actually believe? So one of the things I always look at is, um, for instance, uh, Calvinism, mm-hmm. which is the belief that that predestination means not that God knew ahead of time and planned it all out, but that God... Uh, put together every single thing. He's sovereign and he put everything in order. So there's really no free will. God said it and and did it and he's planned it all out. So then I'm going to go, okay, well, there's clearly passages in the scripture that talk about our free will. 
uh, choose this day whom you will serve. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, all the way through the scriptures, for those who believe, you know, those who come into the light and walk in the light, those who reject the light, you know, uh, uh, you know, giving people the choice is clearly there. But is it God making them choose or are they choosing for themselves? Mm-hmm. Okay, well, now I'm going to go, well, where does this predestination means God's all powerful and makes all the choices and we're basically puppets? Where does that come from? Well, we know that Calvinism started with John Calvin in the you know, 15, 1600s. What did the early church believe? They might point to Augustine, who, who lived in the 3rd, 4th century. Okay, well, Scripture was written in the 1st century. What did the early church believe? Um, now, if... Some, if they talked about it in different ways where, yes, God is in control, but people have their choice, then we know that even in the first century, there wasn't a set system that said, you know, God chooses everything or man chooses everything. There's, there's, there's both. So I reject any sort of predestinationalism, Calvinism, that says God chooses some to go to heaven and some to go to hell because... The scriptures themselves say God wishes none to be lost, but all to be saved. And the first church did not teach that, like this is how it is, and and every person, uh, it, you know, it, it chooses God only if God chooses them first. It's not how it was written. Mm-hmm. So for you to come up with a systematic theology and put in a, a box fifteen hundred years later, mm-hmm. I'm skeptical. Mm-hmm. All right, um, and so I'm going to take much less hard line on it. Did God? Uh, cause certain people to do certain things? Yes. But did he choose whether they would choose him or not? In other words, did he go, you don't get to choose me because I'm choosing to send you to hell and, um, and therefore you're lost? No, I don't see that anywhere. I do see people that had chosen to reject God like Pharaoh mm-hmm. uh, and then God in that case hardening his heart so that he did something that God wanted him to do. Yes, that's true. God did harden his heart on that decision. Does that Did God harden his heart on the decision to accept God in the first place? No. He knew what he was going to decide. He decided no. Therefore, he was going to use him for his pleasure and good. God doesn't... And so you have to, you have to accept there's some mystery, but some people want to create a hard and fast interpretation that the early church didn't have. And if, and if it didn't have it in the first... If they didn't have it in the first century, you don't have the right to make it hard and fast 1,500 years later. Right. Uh, which is basically is the whole point of this. So uh, my next question, and that does answer... The first question you did answer... Uh, Bible had commentary. There is there is discrepancies on commentary, but the discrepancies wouldn't be uh, church history. They wouldn't be. Uh, it would be. You can. They'll, they'll tell. Uh, most commentaries will say what's opinion, or many will think. So you always want to be careful with with you know commentaries, even mm-hmm. in a Bible study Bible. You know, John MacArthur's study Bible is based on his Calvinistic view Mm -hmm. of Scripture. And I agree with John MacArthur on a lot, on who Jesus is, on the salvation issues. John MacArthur and I and John MacArthur and, and, uh, you know, many other pastors are going to be in heaven, though they have a different view, right? So not every truth is as important as every other truth. Mm -hmm. So I can say John MacArthur's a saved person who loves God and has contributed greatly 
to the kingdom, but I disagree with John MacArthur on a, on a different issue. On women's roles, I can say um, that, that if you have a woman pastor, it's not a salvation issue. Mm-hmm. She can be saved if she believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. But just because it's not a salvation issue doesn't mean it's, it's, it's not an important issue. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to say, well, if it's not a salvation issue, it's not important, well, then what is the impact of that on the family? What is that as an impact on on so many issues mm-hmm. that the Bible were there slave owners, for instance, who I believe were slaves mm-hmm. or who were saved? Yes, I think there probably were. Is slavery uh, in Scripture promoted as though it's a good thing? Uh, again, back then, slavery would be like uh, if you were an employer and there was an employee. Roman slavery wasn't the same necessarily mm-hmm. all across the board as what we did in America. If you were a slave owner who treated a different race as though they were less or that you abused them in any way, you were in sin. Mm-hmm. You were in sin. If you were a, 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 an employer or slave owner in the Roman church— or at the Roman time, where somebody had uh, had to go into slavery because they couldn't pay their bills, and so now they worked for you to pay off their mm-hmm. bill, but you treated them decently, and you treated them like they were human beings, and and you were you honored them as God would have honored them, as the Bible talks about, and even you were working off your slavery because uh, because your bills were being paid, and and then mm-hmm. and so. Could you be saved as a slave owner in a different context, in a different way? I think so, right? But I, I don't I don't believe it's an unimportant issue, mm-hmm. right? I, I hope I'm making that, that clear. I'm not for slavery in any sense. But in the Roman church at that time in that history, slavery didn't necessarily mean. That's a part of the historical principle. Right. It, it, any sort of slavery like what we did here, uh, based on race and the things that we did is sin. Mm-hmm. Now, could a person be saved and they were treating people that way? I don't think so. Could you have inherited slaves and treat them like human beings and give them great freedom, but they were called slaves? I mean, this is debatable. Uh, I, I do think there were guys in history who were who were slave owners, but were godly men who treated people rightly, though they had inherited a system and made a huge difference in changing the system to get rid of the ungodly part of it. Mm -hmm. But my point being is this, reading scripture in context, understanding what was happening, understanding the situation, um, uh, reading it from the early church's perspective leads to the right way of understanding things and new scholars writing their context back into history. Having the, the wrong context, putting American slavery on Roman slavery as if they were exact same thing, and then saying Christianity is wrong because of the kind of slavery it was proposing, that's reading context mm-hmm. in, and it's not understanding the nuances, and it comes to the wrong conclusions. Mm-hmm. And so understanding Scripture is super important. The The second question I had for you, which is the last point, which is what... Now that you've done this study, and now you've got a re- you're reading scripture, and the Holy Spirit says to you, "Okay, now you this is what this is what this means, and this is what this means for you in your life." 
uh, my question is, uh, my context doesn't fit that context anymore. And I realize trying to make trying to make that congruent is part of being spiritually mature. Mm-hmm. But uh, what do you do in a situation? It's just not the. It's not the same. I'm not going to go kill a Philistine. You know, um, right. So, what do you what do you do when it, it doesn't match up, or or does God tell you uh, specific things to do from the scripture? Yeah, understanding the Old Testament, there's a theocracy involved. Mm-hmm. There's a country with a government and laws involved. There are enemies of that country at that time. God is preserving the um, Jewish nation. Uh, so it's. It, there are laws in the Jewish nation uh, that that God expected them to live out as a Jewish nation, whereas in the New Testament, God is taking the Jewish nation. He has brought the Messiah into the into or through the Jewish nation now as a light to the Gentiles. So there are laws that the Jewish nation had that that they had no ability, and God knew they would have no ability to implement in Corinth. Mm-hmm. There are things when when Israel and King David was in charge, where it's its own nation, where some things that were happening in Corinth would have been the death penalty in Israel. But God is launching these people out into the world to take the message of the gospel. In the Old Testament, you find out what God sees as right and wrong. Homosexuality was wrong in the Old Testament, and it's worthy of death. In the Roman culture, homosexuality was not wrong. Is it still wrong? Yes. But the implementation of how that works in the Roman culture, God wants to save them. Mm -hmm. In the Jewish nation, these are people who were raised to know what is godly, Mm -hmm. who, who, who was, they were, they understood God's word and they were to be led by God's uh, commands and, and the the laws were to be implemented. Stoning of adulterers, all those Mm -hmm. things. You can see how God feels about that. In the New Testament, Jesus is sent into the world to say, sin is sin, but God wants to save you. Mm-hmm. In the Old Testament, they knew. In the New Testament, they don't know in, uh, in these other countries. Mm-hmm. The message is God can save everybody. These people aren't being rebellious. They've, they've been acting in ignorance. God's people in the uh, Old Testament are acting in rebellion and mm-hmm. rejection. It's the same reason why in the New Testament within the church, certain behaviors uh, we're not to be allowed in the church. That's why Paul says that you're not to be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. And he says mm-hmm. within the church, do not even eat with a so-called brother who is sexually immoral. But he says, I don't at all mean the people of this world. You'd have to leave the world. Within the church, there are things that are not accepted because they're clearly right and wrong. And, mm-hmm. and rather than killing them in the church that lives in the world system, you're not to, you're not to have anything to do with them if they claim to be Christians mm-hmm. and they're sinning. But if they're in the world and they don't know, our job is to say Jesus is the Son of God and he wants to save you from sin. What sin? What the Old Testament says is sin is sin as far as the Ten Commandments are concerned. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, sin is still sin. Righteousness and unrighteousness is very clear. That's why the Bible says that all Scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful for correcting, training, rebuking in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Uh, Hebrews 5 tells us that maturity is for it is when you handle the Word of God correctly so that you know the difference between right and wrong. Right and wrong is still the same. How it's applied with people in the church versus outside the church 
is completely different. The message Mm -hmm. outside the church is, we want you to know Jesus has come to be a part of Jesus as Savior and Lord in the family of God because every command he has ever given is for our good. Mm-hmm. And so handling the Word of God correctly is so important in understanding the context. What time of history are we talking about? What was going on? What's the overall message? You get it wrong, and uh, you get the context wrong, and you have people in the New Testament trying to kill somebody or abuse somebody who's a homosexual mm-hmm. when they're a sinner just like everybody else is a sinner. They don't know, mm-hmm. or they haven't accepted Jesus as Lord, whereas if somebody in the church who's accepted Jesus as Lord is rebelling against what God has said, that's a completely different issue. And so in the New Testament, we go with the message of salvation. God wants to save everybody. But when you get saved, you now obey everything that he has taught. Right. You're now being sanctified. You're, you're becoming holy. You're coming out of the way of the world and into the way of Jesus, where we accept that every command I ever gave is because he's the designer. He cares about us. He loves us. There's mm-hmm. a righteous way of living. So uh, these principles, these aren't these aren't just yours. You you can find these principles just about anywhere. Yeah, there are right, literal, actual principles of hermeneutics, and and Jesus actually applied those, right? I mean, remember when the devil came at Jesus? Yeah. And he he tempted him. He said, Hey, you know, why are you out here by yourself? You're hungry. Turn these stones into bread. Jesus said, it is written, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. In other words, I'm, I'm here by God's command. He led me out here. The Holy Spirit led me mm-hmm. out here. I'm going to wait for him. So the devil gets smart. He goes, well, it is written. If we're going mm-hmm. to talk about scripture, yeah. it is written that uh, if you cast yourself down off of this this tower, this uh, wall, the angels will catch you and you won't strike your foot and all that. And the, the devil was misquoting, misinterpreting scripture. And Jesus said, it is also written, do not test the Lord your God, right? Mm-hmm. Every time he answered with scripture, when the devil tried to misquote, he answered uh, with a, a scripture appropriately. Understanding the word of God, what it means and how and what, and you know, is so important. And it's how you defend yourself against false teachers. It's how you know what to do in practice. And, and it, a mature person understands the difference between right and wrong, deals with right and wrong correctly, understands that some issues are more clear mm-hmm. and for salvation. But other issues, we may be saved, but we can't be unified because we don't, we don't interpret that correctly. Uh, we don't, we don't uh, uh, accept what God's Word says, and, 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 and the house divided against itself can't stand. We can have the, the you know... Uh, we can do anything one day, Tower of Babel. Change the language, now we can't do anything. So there are people that are not members of our church that I think are saved, mm-hmm. obviously. Um, but I wouldn't have them as members of our church because we don't agree on what right and wrong and right practice is. Mm-hmm. And we'll just be divided and and have a problem. Mm-hmm. That's, that's really good. Uh, this list will be attached to this podcast, but... I want to encourage everyone to go go through this. It just feels like, um, you know, uh, on the negative side, it's like, oh, well, I'm trying to read my Bible, and, and now I just have to do more work. The reality is, is you can get so much more out of what you're reading if you study it in this way and get uh, and understand the full context of what's happening. It's um, uh, it, like... 
maybe this is a bad example, but it reminds me of those old um, uh, color drawings that you'd look at, but you'd have to stare at for long enough, and then you, you know, all of a sudden a dolphin would pop out. You know, it'd be it'd be three dimensional. That's what this is like for me because I'm reading the same scripture. I'm reading the same scripture, and and the Holy Spirit does show you different things. Uh, during the different times you read it in your life, but finding out the actual context of what's happening, it it, it is uh, it really is worth the the time doing. But uh, Jim, I appreciate you taking the time uh, to go through this list, and it is a good reminder.